Hello everybody, thank you very much for downloading this week's episode of the Cinema Catch-Up Club. This is just to let you know that the Cinema Catch-Up Club has an official Patreon page. If you'd like to become an official member of the club and get some bonus goodies, including early access material and bonus features only available to our patrons, then please join up at patreon.com forward slash ccuc podcast. And now, for this week's episode. Hello everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Catch-Up Club, the podcast for films that you probably should have seen by now. I'm your host, Stephen Platt. Thank you very much for downloading this week's episode. And this week, we have a special additional bonus episode where I interview somebody who is involved with one of the films that we're reviewing. My guest is Sam Longley. Hello, Sam. Hey, Stephen. How are you? I'm absolutely fantastic. How are you? Yeah, good. Life's life's a joy. Excellent. Sam, uh, for the folks at home... Who are you and what do you do? Um, who am I? God, the deep question straight off the bat. You're a brutal interviewer. Um, I am Sam Longley. I'm an actor from Perth, Western Australia. So if you're listening to this internationally, picture the most remote place you can think of. And I live about 30 minutes from there. Mm. Uh, by the coast, so it's nice. Mm. Uh, yeah, I'm an actor um, primarily, I guess. I do improv. Um, I've worked on film and TV and radio and mostly theatre. And the reason we're speaking to you today is because uh, you had a very important role in the film Where the Wild Things Are. That's right. You were one of the wild things. You were one of the wild things. Well, I mean, technically I was half of one of the wild things, I Mm. guess. And not like in a pantomime horse way, but I was the guy in the suit of Mm. one of the characters. Mm. Um, Forrest Whitaker played the voice Mm. and I did the... I did the acting. He just did the talking. Yeah, he came in. He said some lines. He yeah, left. Yeah. It's the Simpson sketch where Christy McClellan comes in and goes, "Hey, hey, whoa, hey, hey," and then leaves. That's with... exactly what happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you, you're the suit operator for Ira. Ira, yeah. Ira, sorry. Yes, sorry. It's yeah. my English pronunciation as I'm reading it off the sheet. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Fair enough. Yes. Um, yeah. So, so, so I was Ira. inside that suit mm. for a month. A whole month. Yeah, pretty much. I presume they let you take it off at times. Yes, uh, frequently. Mm. Um, when you get strapped into a big rubber suit, mm. and this is sort of um, you know your, your, your foam rubber suit, when you need to go to the toilet, you've got to get out. Mm. But it does take 15 minutes to do it. Right. So it's, that's a 15-minute job. Yeah. So it was always interesting on set as to when you went, actually, I need, I need a bit of time out here. It's mm. like, oh, all right, stop shooting. Everybody stands around for a while. Then you get back into it. Mm. Mm. And uh, as we've mentioned, there are multiple wild things. Uh, yeah. So this could happen potentially a few times a, a day. A bunch of times, yeah. Right. So I, I guess the, the first real question I have is, how does one get involved with being a wild thing in the film where the wild things are? Um, I auditioned, like so many people do, um, for shows. I mean, it's generally the route you go. But I think it started um, way back, really, for me... Like, I'd like to think that it was, it was destiny mm. in that I grew up in a family of wild things. My dad's my height. I'm, near, I'm six foot ten and dad's six foot ten. Mm. My brother's seven foot two. My little brother, the baby brother's six foot eight. Mum's six foot four. Like, we are huge. Mm. And growing up, I read the wild things a lot. And then when, we, uh, when I was about 12, we went to Europe and we went to England and we saw the stage play of Where the Wild Things Are, where they had these massive wild things on stage. And it was just brilliant. So, uh, the 
the book had always been a part of my life. Mm. So when it came to auditioning, I was really excited. Mm. And they were specifically looking for somebody of stature, somebody sort of my height, which mm. is very rare. Yeah. You know, they don't often put that call out, mm. you know, because mostly most actors are around the five foot six, five foot eight mark. Mm. Um, so, you know, I just, I make clunky shots if, unless they particularly want somebody large. Um, so, yeah, my agent got the audition notice through. She said, Sam, you're perfect for this. They needed you to self test. Um, which is really one of the worst things to do. Where mm. you, I, I don't like it. Some people love it because yeah. they can control everything. Yeah. I prefer to be in the space, in the moment with the director. That way you can get some feedback. But I did my self-test, um, which involved me acting like a monster, which was really weird, but saying lines, uh, even though they weren't going to use me to say lines. Mm. They always knew they had Forrest Whitaker. So I did my self-test and I did that thing of, yeah, whatever, it's just an audition, I don't really care. Mm. You know, these things, they come, they go, whatever. Yeah. But inside, the seven-year-old that had read that book was going, please pick me. And then the adult's going, just relax, it's okay, you probably won't get this, it's fine, it's fine. Mm. And that went on uh, for a long time because I sent that off and then I didn't hear for a couple of months. And then when I did hear, they're like, actually, Sam, we like what you've done, can you go to Melbourne for a callback? So right. I'm like, yes of course do i pay for that and they're like no they pay for that i'm like yeah i'm there mm. so i went and did the audition again in front of the casting directors which is weird because they're not involved in the film they're just casting mm. and they're uh, not even the la casting directors they're melbourne so yeah. i did that um and then eventually they called me again and said we just want you to come back one more time but you're going to be with the producer and the director which mm. freaked me out a lot because it's spike jones yeah. who's very famous director, and uh, yeah, I, I, that made me nervous, but also really happy. Mm. Well, I mean, as you say, Spike Jones, um, very well-known oh, directing yeah. name. Obviously, um, at that time, uh, being John Malkovich and adaptation were his big things. Mm. S- subsequently, obviously, her as well. Like wow. the, these are, you know, this is big bickies, Sam. Yeah, absolutely. So when you're preparing for an audition for mm. the director and for the producer. Um, obviously that's quite stressful. But on top of that, you're also auditioning essentially to be inside a very big suit. How how does that, I suppose, factor into your audition as opposed to just auditioning as I'm Sam and this is what you're going to say? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question to ask because it was really different. Hmm. I... um, As I'm a fairly big person anyway, I'm a physical performer because I figured out really early on that that was what... I was good at because I stand out in the crowd even on stage particularly on stage where often people write back they can see me wherever I am on stage they can see me so I went use that use shake what your mama gave you be big um, so I went monster that's perfect for me I can do this um, I got one of my friends who was a theatre director who lived over in Melbourne we did a little bit of work while I was over there I embodied the monster you know I found the right voice because uh, Ira is a very sort of a typical Jewish name. Uh, my stepfather is Chicago Jew, so he has this great Chicago accent with that Jewish lilt to it. So mm. the voice I was using was sort of emulating that sort of, uh, and I got all these physical movements down of the monster, and mm. uh, then I went into it to do the audition in front of Spike Jones and the dire- and the producer, and I did my piece the way I had and the way I'd prepared. And he went, yeah, that's, that's great. Thanks, we've seen that. Um, 
But that's not what we want from you because they're just monsters on the outside, but really they're people on the inside. Mm. So don't do any of that. Just be you. Now, just deliver the lines as you. And I'm like, what? No, that's not what I prepared. How can I be a monster if I'm just me? I'm like just this chilled out, placid guy. It's fine. Um, but also as an improviser, I'm really happy just trying stuff, new stuff. Mm. And I don't hold on to it. So that was pretty easy to just do. Mm. And so I did that. And he was like, okay, great, cool. Now, can you put these swim fins on and a weight belt Right, and this fuzzy hat. I'm not. I know it sounds like I'm making it up, mm. but he was. They were trying to see how I moved with other things on. So right. he's like, "Okay, so now you've got these swim fins on. You're wearing a weight belt. You've got a fuzzy fur hat. Now I want you to pick up that desk and pretend like it's a tree that you're about to throw." Right. And so yeah, I just went and did that. Right. And and again, playing, improvising. I, I love it. So that was my favorite part of the entire audition. Mm. And at the end, I got a hug from Spike Jones um, and the director, I mean, and the producer, whose name I've temporarily forgotten, lovely guy though, uh, which if I'd have not got the part, mm. that would have been a massive highlight. I'd have been very happy at yeah. that point. Hugging Spike Jones is... Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah, not it's, bad it's, at all. It's pretty good. But you did get the part. I did get the part. And I realised, harking back to the last question, that a lot of it was almost puppeteering. Because the suit is actually something external, even just to make such a large character breathe, you had to use your whole body. You can't just, I couldn't just use my normal lungs because mm. they don't show under a footload of, you know, sponge foam and hair. So it was was getting the whole body to move. Mm. Uh, and that was just, yeah, we did we did a month of rehearsal, which is very unusual on feature films. Mm. But yeah, we, we had personal trainers, we had movement class, we had the guy that worked on... Um, did all the chimps in the Tarzan film. Oh, really? Grace Toke. He was fascinating. Mm. Um, yeah, and so he got us into whole kinds of body movements and mm. different ways of walking and all of that. And then Spike would go, yeah, but no, I want you to stand up and walk like a human. Right. At times, and then other times the animal comes out. Mm. So, yeah. So you go to this Wild Thing boot camp. Yeah. Um, and obviously you're going to be, I presume you were there with the other actors who were cast as the suit operators. Indeed. What's that process like where you're getting together with a group of performers who you're performing something that's very specific, but you all have that sort of shared connection of you are all performing these these otherworldly creatures yeah. but but with these um very unique circumstances around them it was it was daunting and exciting um daunting because i was working with some really fantastic actors but we all had different skills um so angus sampson is a great improviser and a really good actor but not known for his movement um vince crowley who played the lead uh, monster, he, uh, Carol, he's a dancer. He's a professional dancer, and that mm. man can move. Right. Anyway, you, the, they would be in those workshops, and he'd go, just do this, and he would, you know, like a dancer, mm. absolutely perfect. Struggled with lines, because he's not, you know, mm. that wasn't his thing. Right. But he didn't need to be, because there was a voiceover. But So he would be nervous on that. Uh, I can't move like a dancer, but my physicality uh, really played a, a strong part in what I do, mm. um, whereas Angus would rely more on his, yeah, on his acting ability. Um, John Leary, who played the uh, the giant chicken, uh, yeah, he he's small. He's he's smaller than you. All oh, right. Yeah. Um, so we had various size 
size wild things mm. uh and yeah he's a real goofball really right. fun great actor but mm. plays comedy beautifully so he was he was really working with that mm, when to go light and when to go dark mm. and it was yeah it was really fun excellent so now the suit itself yeah uh because obviously this is a big part of oh, your yeah. day-to-day as you've mentioned <laughs> yeah. 15 minutes if you need a pee that kind of thing um, when I suppose when do you get introduced to the suit? Because uh, I presume that you don't just turn up on set on day one and Spike Jones <laughs> is there with a costume bag going, "All right, get in, guys." Here you like, go. Here you uh, go. What, what is that process like? Because I didn't realize this till um, after I'd um, watched the film for the first time that they were Jim Henson creations. Oh, they, yeah. they were, you know, that that company which is just so well known for for their suit, incredible suits and their incredible puppets. I suppose just how how does that all work? As um, how are you introduced to your your big costume piece? Well, they um, that was quite the process. So there was a little clause in our in our contract whereby if we can't operate the suit, they can fire us. Right. Uh, and when we hadn't got the part, so we'd all gone through the audition process. Um, but then they had to see whether we could work the suit. Mm. They flew us to LA uh, and then they took moulds of our face and our body and all the rest and they started decking us out in the suit and we basically had a couple of days there to work out whether or not we were going to be able to operate the suit. Mm. The first thing was the, the we land, I go to sleep, I, you know, jet lag kicks in because it's the other side of the world. They wake us up, driver takes you to the Henson Creature workshop. Right which is just mind-blowing because mm. you walk in there and there's Muppets all around. There's mm. just just so much joy in that room. Mm. And yet it's a workshop. So yeah. people are sweating, there are fans on, there's contact glue, people are cutting into a, <laughs> cutting into a, a furry creature and it mm. was really surreal and the jet lag was horrible and they said, all right, we're just going to sit you in this room, we're going to get a full cast of your face. Mm. Okay, so just lie back, close your eyes, we're going to stick these straws up your nose so you can still breathe and we're going to cover your face in latex which warms up mm. as you do and it just was oh man it was part part freaky like i think i'm going to die in here mm. and the other part was like the perfect relaxation and coming down out of the plane mm. so then they they do that next day we're um we're getting used to everything and they start showing us the models of what we're going to do and they've got pre-built heads mm. Uh, and the first iteration was it was all going to be animatronics. The heads were going to be animatronics because mm. Spike really wanted practical effects wherever right. possible. He mm. didn't want it to be a CGI movie. Um, so I had a I had a big harness with a, a Kevlar, like a hook. Uh, uh, something came up my back, mm. over my head, and then hung a mask from that pivot point because I was the biggest creature with the biggest head Mm. and then we had this animatronic face yeah Mm. and each eyeball which were beautifully made resin each eye was slightly different you know they looked very real weighed about uh, two and a half kilos right so so this is a big rig this is a big rig Mm. and we're putting it on and they're going how do you feel and we're all thinking about that little bit of contract which says if you can't operate this this big opportunity, you've just been flown to LA, to ha- you can't mm. have that. So we're like, yeah, I'm fine. I can totally do this. It's okay. Yeah. Um, so we tried it all out uh, and it was really bizarre. Mm. Um, 
and at this point there's no covering on any of the foam suits they're just bits like they'll put a single glove on right um and they'll put a foot on and then a chest piece and then you've got a head and so it felt really really removed from what the creatures would eventually be Mm. um but and then spike came in and he was also he was trying to envisage i assume i don't know for sure but he was trying to look and see what the creatures would look like and Mm. they're in total you know halloween bits and pieces yeah and so he's like, how, how are you going? Can you do this and can you do that? And we're like, yeah, we can do that. Not thinking we're going to be on set for six hours, eight hours a day mm. in extreme weather, doing all these movements and mm. whatnot. Um, and that all came unstuck when we got back to Australia uh, and we did the first couple of weeks with these costumes. And I remember we were doing a, a small scene and Spike went, all right, Sam, can you look left and i'm like yep that's what i'm doing no 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 get the creature's head to look left i'm like yeah that is what i'm doing he's like well no you need to look further so i moved my whole body to the left so that the shoulders and the head because they're all attached Mm. moved left he went no no sorry i may maybe i missed misspoke can your body stay still but just move your head to the left Mm. i went no i can't right that is that is exactly how the rig works and then there was this big silence mm. and then there was some muttered conversations and then he started doing that with all the creatures and that was the day they got rid of i'm going to assume a couple of million dollars worth of animatronics right simply because you couldn't because we couldn't left. do what he wanted us to do yeah. yeah and there was going to be running through forests there was going to be all of this action stuff mm. um so the animatronics got scrapped mm. the seven puppeteers that they'd employed for the entire shoot now had a lot less work to do right and they made super light um when i say super light it's probably five kilos mm-hmm. uh plastic heads with all the fur and all the eyes and everything looked great but then they put the cgi dots on it to make the mouths move and everything yeah because the effect in the the finished film yeah. um is is interesting because the, the the when the wild things are first on screen there is that initial uh, question that you ask yourself is, okay, how much of this is is real? How much of this is in camera? Mm. And I found that the the use of the digital um, face manipulation um, was very unintrusive. Um, I was was really surprised by once I clued in, I'm like, okay, this is being done digitally, how um, well it seemed to blend. And my impression from watching that was that was planned from the very beginning. Well, then they did a good job. Yeah, they obviously did. Because, um, <laughs> because yeah, I, I um, obviously I wasn't st- stood there but, but watching them make this film. But, but, yeah, the impression was very much that uh, that seemed like a deliberate decision from mm. the beginning. So, Well, their, their plan was to use a, as little CGI as possible. So they did know that they were going to be using some. Mm. Uh, and the animatronics were really really there for background stuff um but they were hoping to get as much as they could as they could with the animatronics and then only tweak it with the cgi but instead what happened was the the new lighter heads which were still pretty heavy um they were full fur full everything it's exactly like you see in the film Mm. so if i'm saying iris in the background and he's just sort of looking left to right with full body or whatnot there's a good chance that's not CGI at all. Mm, that's still just the, be the CGI mark 
CGI markers would have been on the head mm. and they would have removed those in post. Mm. But unless he's speaking or his eyes need to blink, then they wouldn't have done anything. Excellent. So there was this one fixed expression that they had for each of the yeah, faces. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Was there a best bit about getting to wear this costume? Like, was, was there something that made you go, oh, this is brilliant, this is, this is something that I absolutely love? Every time. Mm. It was so cool. Mm. Like, I mean, it was hard work, and some days you're just sweating buckets, yeah. um, and other days it was freezing cold, uh, and you're inside this big warm woolly suit. But every time they got me in there and they zipped me up, um, and so I had this apparatus on my hand, so I'd put my hand into a glove, and there were rings around my fingers that were attached to wires which were attached to the actual claws. Mm. And just being able to put that on and then have them zip up so I'm fully covered in this big grey fur with a massive gut that I didn't have at the time but is now growing on me. Mm. And making my claws move, it just was felt so good. It felt Excellent. so good. And, <laughs> and a bit surreal. Yeah, I, I imagine. And I presume that maybe the less or uh, the worst thing about it would be the 15 minutes between I need to pee and I can pee. Yeah, that wasn't... Uh, yeah, you did have to hold that in, mm. um, but you always knew there were going to be breaks. So the first day of shooting, everybody's learning because this has never been done to that in that particular way before. First day of shooting, they just shot and shot and shot and then they would take the heads off and we would just be just dripping in sweat and they're like, wow, how was that? And you're like, how was... Yeah, it's cool. We're still all remembering that clause in our yeah. contract of if you can't do it, you don't get the gig. Mm. Um, and in fact, on the first day of shooting, one of the one of the actors was fired. Oh, yeah, because couldn't keep the head up, could not, didn't have the neck strength. Um, she'd done a month long boot camp. Mm. You would have thought we'd have picked it. Yeah, first day of shooting, she ended up in tears. Saw the nurse was called in she was let go. Right. So they got Sonny, who was actually, was there to design the posters, but mm. was the right height and a really good bloke. And they put him in the suit and he nailed it. Um, so which, which wild thing was he then, Sonny? I'm trying to remember all the names. He was the small goat. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, Alexander. Yeah. Alexander. Thank yeah. you very much. Yes. Uh, so he was Alexander. Right. By pure fluke. I mean, he was just on set. He's taking drawings. He's taking photos. He's mm. there for, you know, he's a graphic designer. That's his trait. Um, but my God, did he, he nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. So you film for a month. Yeah. Um, and by the appearance of the film, uh, there's a lot of outdoor yep. setting scenes. Um, how, how much of it was actually outdoors for, for yourself, though, like, uh, between uh, sound stages and, and being on, like, I imagine the the scene at the end on the beach is not a soundstage. That looked that looked quite real. <laughs> that was morning to peninsula, and it was very real, mm. and was glorious. It was truly a glorious location. Um, there was a lot of outside stuff, actually. Mm. I would say the majority of it was outdoors. Mm. Um, anything in a forest? Not anything. Um, there's a scene where it snows. That's definitely soundstage. Right. Uh, a lot of the forest stuff was outdoors. Mm. Shot at four in the morning. Um, the big rumpus was all four in the mornings, mm. four in the mornings, real fire, mm. freezing cold, didn't feel a thing because I was in the suit. Right. Um, and yeah, it was weird, bleary eyes, and then you rock up to set and there's these fires and there's nests and there's a goat and you're just like, oh, this is cool, giant mm. chicken, yep, how you doing? Mm. Yeah, it was really fun. So I, I guess in that month then... Um, you, you obviously got to, to work with this fabulous cast and crew yeah. and, and obviously working under Spike Jones. 
what what was that like for you i suppose as a as a performer who um you know your imdb doesn't suggest that you'd done a huge amount of films with directors of spike jones's ilk beforehand <laughs> what was it like working well, on since all, oh well yeah. <laughs> uh, but what was it like working under somebody like spike jones and seeing how he operates great really good um there are good directors and bad directors, I think, from an actor's perspective, yeah. because um, some directors are really technical and they're all about uh, the camera and all the rest. And I thought perhaps that's how Spike was going to be, because he came from a you know a director shooter um, world where he was making the film, right? You know, skate videos and whatnot. Uh, he was really respectful of the actors and worked really well. I also love the fact that he would work with um, Lance, the DOP, and they would create, and you could watch them do it. Mm. They would get in there and they'd start talking angles and they'd start moving around and then they'd change shots, which would just piss the gaffers off no end because mm. they're like, what, now we're going to change everything, are we? Just because you've decided and now we're an hour behind. But you could see them work and they were always after what looked best. They were always looking at the aesthetic. Mm. Once they knew, so our first day of shooting, we were in our heads for an hour and a half to two hours, and at the end of that, we were all having a bit of a, a bit of a whinge. Mm. Told the nurse that's not going to work, so they ended up figuring that about forty-five minutes was as long as we could spend in the heads at one time. Right. So we'd shoot for forty-five minutes, then it'd be heads off. We'd take a fifteen-minute break. There's your pee break right there. Right. Uh, and then heads on, and we shoot was right. the catch cry of the whole thing. Heads on and we shoot. Um, and in that 15-minute break, Spike was still working. He'd be coming up and talking to you. He'd be just, he just had so much fun and so much energy. Mm. It was incredible to watch. Um, and I just forgot that he was a very high-powered, high-profile, you know, Hollywood director. Mm. You see him, he's in a suit every day, suit and trainers. That was his thing, mm-hmm. no matter how hot it was. Occasionally, take the jacket off and roll up his sleeves. Always with a tie. Right. Always fun. Always happy to talk to you. Almost always had a smile on his face. Oh, it was great. Yeah, he was really, really lovely. That's brilliant. Yeah. Um. So, knowing that you were going to be voiced by Forrest Whitaker, as you yeah. said beforehand, does that actually affect how you uh, perform the character, or for any of the other performers, did it affect how they were going to play their characters? So, like, obviously. Um, uh, the Vince was playing Carol. Obviously, had James Gandolfini was was the voice there. Yeah. Did that affect any of your process in terms of right? I know the type. Of, I know the the specific performer who will be providing this voice. I guess it did. I mean, I don't think we intentionally went in with that. We would often have their voices playing in our headsets mm. um, during a scene. So they recorded their voices first. They recorded the verse, voices first. Right. Then we shot with those and then they would have re-recorded again right and of course we lost one of the actors i think michelle williams bailed at one point Mm. um so we were working with her voice and then it changed um whether or not that changed our physical performance i mean the biggest criteria was just making the suits move Mm. so yeah i was a fan of forrest whitaker ever since ghost dog right which was a film i just loved Mm. but i never thought how does he walk i always thought how does ira move right um, and I can hear his voice. It's this beautiful, somnolent kind of rambling, mm. generous, warm voice. So, so I I would put that into Ira. So yes, I guess I'm taking a little bit from Forrest Whitaker's interpretation. Mm. 
and I'm hearing the voice of Ira, even though it's the voice of I know that sounds really wanky. No, no, it? that's but 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 this is this is how performers and, and actors do work, and like. Yeah. Part of part of the job is that sometimes it is a bit wanky, um, and I think we, <laughs> yeah, we just yeah, have to sure. accept that. Yeah, we do, we do, we mm. do indeed. Yeah, um, yeah. So weird that I had his, you know, his voice in my head for a month and a half making a film, and I've still never met the man. Mm. Yeah. So the film is uh, put together and yep. finished, and you know, you've you've done the suit for the final time. And what, actually, one other suit question. Traditionally, when people do a lot of suit work, there is discussions about the suit not necessarily being great uh, smell wise by the end of the end of a shoot how how were the suits in where the wild things they are they weren't then? great smell wise mm. at the beginning of the shoot right <laughs> within the first week that first night where we we did an hour and a half in the suit mm. four times and we i lost buckets of sweat into mm. that suit and we each had a dresser whose job it was to peel us out of them and then deal with that yeah um but they got really good at working it out and essentially Glen 20 for the smell and mm -hmm. the germs, and then they got vodka as cheap as they could buy, mm. put it in a spray bottle and spray it all down with vodka. Ah. Yeah, So and that would kill the germs and kill the smell mm. and doesn't harm the fabric. Oh, that's a, that's a good tip for anyone <laughs> out there. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah, any suit performers, mm. uh, that's, a, that's the one. Excellent. So the film is, is wrapped up and uh, comes out in the year 2009. Mm. Um, when, when did you see it for the first time? Well, we saw rushes during the filming, mm. um, but I first saw it in two thousand and nine—the mm. whole fully completed thing. Mm. Yeah, and was it was it at a? I suppose like did they put on an event for everyone that was involved? They um, did, mm. and they did it over in Melbourne. Um, I was hoping. I was definitely angling for fly us all to LA, big red carpet number, mm. uh, and I thought that was possibly going to happen. And I thought I was possibly going to meet Forrest Whitaker, who since Ghost Dog I've always admired mm. I think he's a fantastic actor and also an unusual look and shape and mm. so, which um, and which is what I am as well mm. um, I mean obviously I'm stunningly good looking but mm. I am tall and freaky mm. at the same time uh, but that didn't happen instead Melbourne mm. uh, and they weren't springing for flights to Melbourne right because um, they haven't made any money yet <laughs> The film hasn't come out, so yes. they don't know what business it's going to do. So they're mm. not, you know, doing that. And we're nobodies. We're not Forrest Whitaker, so it mm. doesn't count. So I fly to Melbourne with my wife and my 18-month-old um, child. Mm. Uh, and on the night, on the afternoon before the red carpet, my daughter just starts violently throwing up. Oh. Yeah. Mm. And it's not great. Uh and so we try and take her to a hospital, which is not far from where we're staying, luckily. Mm -hmm. And then they said, oh, no, we won't deal with that. You have to take her to the children's hospital, right. which is half an hour away. Right. And I'm like, oh, really? And my, my wife said, no, you go to the opening. Mm. I will deal with our child. So which I responded, there's no way. We're flying all the way to Melbourne for you to miss out on this as well. Mm. So we take her to the hospital. It turns out it's nothing, really. They can't do a whole lot. They give her some water and some something to calm her stomach. She comes back. She's got her little baby eyes still mm. wet with tears. But the clock is ticking. Yeah. So we're like, hand her off to auntie, uh, who's over there. We start getting doled up. My wife looks stunning. you know. And we, we jump on the train. Or we walk down to the train station and we wait for, I think, 25 minutes, maybe half an hour for mm -hmm. a train that should come every seven minutes. Yep. 
And at this point, I'm freaking out. I'm going, this is just wrong. Like, there should have, like, this is my opening night. This is the one chance I get to have mm. an opening night. It's, eventually, the train rolls out. Turns out uh, there was a, there was a, a fatal accident on the, right. on the track. And I was like, uh, so I don't take it personally. Mm. Uh, and then we get into the city. We get to catch our second train in. Uh, and we wait another 30 minutes because the train on that line has been hit by lightning right. and at this point I'm like okay well I'm not supposed to see this at all yeah um, but we get there and we I miss everything on the red carpet I miss all the canapes and champagne beforehand mm-hmm. any of the star treatment totally miss it we get shown to our seat just as the credits start at the beginning of the film the titles mm-hmm. uh, I think I got a box of Maltesers and that was about it well, I mean, a box of Maltese is yeah. you're still up on the equation. <laughs> Great. Excellent. I still saw it. I was still super chuffed. Mm. Yeah. So what was it, I guess, that experience then of, of seeing that work and that, you know, that, that, that several months of toil, you mm. know, this is a big thing. And what was it like seeing it, it, it the way it is, I suppose, meant to be seen in, in the cinema, in a full cinema with people responding to it? It was great. Mm. Yeah, no, I loved it. Loved it. It is weird. As my dad pointed out on my wedding night, um, on the wedding, Sam was in a in a movie. We didn't see him for six months, and then we see the movie, and we still can't see him. Mm-hmm. We're not actually sure he did it. <laughs> Cheeky dad. Uh, so it is that weird thing. If I saw myself on the big screen, but I didn't see myself at all. Mm. I didn't. I saw Ira. I listened to Forrest Whitaker. Mm. I, am, am I up there? I'm not really up there, but I kind of I know I'm in there. Mm. Um, but yeah, there is an. Inc- Incredible, and it was two and a half, three years after we shot because we started shooting in 2006. Um, yeah, I think it was 2006, right. and then we had to reshoot again uh, a year and a half later or something because they did reshoots over in LA in a different quarry. Mm. Um, so, such a long process, yeah, you know, and I hadn't forgotten about it, but it definitely was on the back burner. Um, so seeing it all come together was amazing and of course there was stuff I had never seen I had no idea about they would talk about this dirt clod fight and we did a few things and you know there's an air cannon blowing up but you don't see the full scale of it you don't see any of the stunt work Mm. because they're on the B camera team they're off shooting other stuff Mm. so you weren't stunt era you were who knew no 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 Um, I mean I did as much as I could but um, Ira didn't do a lot of stunts either. I He's suppose, the big yeah. old slow one. Yeah. I mean, the bit where he gets a raccoon on his nose. I, I do have a note here, Richard the raccoon <laughs> jumping on your nose. What, did, did you do that? Was that you? Yeah, that was me Excellent. in there. But there was no actual Richard. Right. No. no, no I, was I, I assumed it might not have been an actual <laughs> raccoon that they just, just threw, threw at, you, at me. But it, yeah. it looked great. Hard to get in, yeah. in Melbourne. I suppose, raccoon, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Tricky. Um, so... You, you uh, ultimately, with with this um, this experience, because yeah. I, I presume you've you've not done any other any, anything else remotely like this in your career. No. Like just by the nature of where the wild things are being so unique as a as a production property in itself. Um, where I, I suppose, how do you think on it um, a decade on from its release? Uh, I, I definitely look back on it with pride. Um, and joy. Um, my favourite part of the book was left out of the movie. Which oh, really? Is a shame. Yeah. What when was I, left out? When I was a kid, the the scene where Max goes to bed and the forest grows into his room, mm. or his room turns into a forest. Right. They didn't do. Uh, instead, he ran and he ran and he ran until he was in a forest, which makes perfect sense if you are making that film. Mm. I totally get it. But um, 
yeah, I missed that little bit. Okay. Uh, since that, in the last 10 years, I've met a bunch of people who don't like the film very much. Hmm. They say they, you know, it wasn't really right with Maurice Sundak's book. It, you know, they took liberties. It hmm. wasn't... Uh, a lot of people said, wow, I got it for my kids and it was too scary and it wasn't mm. really a kid's film. And I couldn't agree with them more. I don't think it's a kid's film. Mm. I think it's a an, a film for adults about being a child. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. My first time watching it, I was surprised how much... Um, well, I suppose how, how adult it treated this, yeah. this kid's issues. And I, I think it's a really fascinating story looking at um, Max essentially using the wild things to reflect on his behavior and and that sort of thing but it, it's not it, it by no means is it a traditional children's film no um which in some ways i actually think is is quite brilliant but certainly maybe not the sort of thing you go to a bunch of six-year-olds hey hey let's watch this guys yeah. grab your popcorn oh sorry oh yeah. yeah let's watch trolls yeah. oh his arm got ripped off <laughs> Let, let's go for trolls instead uh, yeah kind of i thing. love the way it treats kids with emotional mm. um complexity yeah. and and treats them a little bit like adults mm. and max who was playing max max records who played max he was a like he was a smart intelligent emotionally capable kid mm. and you forget that working with him until one day he's just had enough and he starts crying and the only thing that can stop it is a cuddle from his mum and his dad. Mm. And then you're like, oh, that's right. He's nine or ten, yeah. however he was, however old he was at the time. Um, yeah, so I don't know, looking back, love the film. Mm. I still love it. I still think it's a great piece of cinema. Mm. Um, yeah, and would love to do one again. Mm. Um, would you like to do any other work in a suit? I, I, your, your filmography does have you in non-suit work. Um, it does. But it does. Is, is there anything out there that would make you go, oh, I'd love to, I'd love to don a similar fun suit? Well, post Where the Wild Things Are, I sent out my resumes to all the creature workshops I could find mm. in English-speaking countries and said, I've done Where the Wild Things Are. I'm a very unique shape and size. I'll Please consider me for stuff. Mm. And I got absolutely nothing back from anyone except the Weta Workshop, who okay. sent me a really lovely email going, oh, that's great, man. That's very nice. Yeah, we'll keep you on file, eh? Mm. Um, which was really lovely. Mm. And again, hats off to Weta. Like, they couldn't be any better. They're mm. just great. Um, but no work has come of that. Mm. I did get a call from some of the guys that worked on Where the Wild Things Are that did um, Alien Coven. Coven oh, oh yeah, the... the uh, recent alien film. Recent alien film. They mm. were shooting in Australia and they were looking for tall, thin, athletic people. And I get the call going, hey, Sam, remember we worked together on this and oh, we think you'd be great. Um, can you send us some photos, you know, just so we can show the production? And I did, but it had been 10 years and I had two kids and I rock and a dad bod. Yeah. And I sent them photos and I didn't hear anything back. Right. I would love to do creature workshop, uh, creature work, uh, suit work. I would love to be a Wookiee. That's what I'm really hoping for. Well, I mean, they seem to be making a lot of these Star Wars they films. They really at the moment, do. But so. I don't know how to get that gig. Mm. I, I can talk to my agent, but uh, I'm not sure she'll um, know either. Yeah, I think you just have to be standing uh, and looking very tall near J.J. Abrams. I think is probably <laughs> the way it goes. Great. Now I'll start stalking him. It'll mm. be fun. That's the way it goes. <laughs> um, so some of the other films that you have worked on, though, uh, uh, Jasper Jones and um, Three Summers are the sort of big ones that are on there yeah. at the moment. Um, just, just suppose a more general thing, um, working on these these sorts of films. 
Um, how how was that experience? Um, I, I suppose as compared to something that is as unique as where the wild things are. Uh, well, they they each have beautiful moments and and hardship with it. I think Jasper Jones, um, oh, such a beautiful part of Western Australia down in Pemberton. Mm. Um, Craig Silver, who wrote Jasper Jones, was there on set. And I knew from before, from doing one of his pieces, um, The Amber Amulet, as a theatre piece. We got along really well. Mm. Always a strange dynamic working with actors that you don't know on a film because you don't have rehearsal. You just come in, you do your thing. Mm. Um, and one of the actors just did not, I did, we did not gel. Right. Straight away was like, whoa, okay, don't like you. Um which is rare for me, but it was what she did, not what I did. Right. Uh, and then one of the other actors who was a little bit surly to begin with, I end up getting along really quite well with. Okay. Um, but it's, yeah, it's great. I know half the crew because I've done, I've done ads. Hmm. Um, I've made a short film in WA. So I knew, I walk onto set in anything filmed in WA hmm. and I know a bunch of people. Yeah. Um, I've, I've worked with crews. I've, you know, AD'd and whatnot. So that's always a joy. Um, Jasper Jones was lovely. Uh, Three Summers was a, a whole nother experience mm. because Ben Elton was directing and he's just great. Mm. Uh, and he had a one of my favourite ever directing moments where, I don't know if you know, but directors are not allowed to speak to extras. Mm. They just don't. Right. Otherwise, the pay grade changes. You become a featured extra and right. then your pay jumps up. So you, your extra only ever really... Is allowed to talk to your fourth, your yeah, fourth AD, I think it is, who deals with extras. But Ben was shooting in this big tent. The extras had been there a long time, and what often happens in film, things are just broken down. Like they were changing a lens out because something happened. They were doing a re-rig of the lights, and Ben's a very astute um, man and can read humans pretty well. Mm. And he was sitting there, because I'm watching him, I know him, and I was like, oh, yeah, what's he doing? And you could see him just look at the room and going, I'm losing this crowd, mm. you know, because he's an old stand-up comedian. He yeah. knows what he's doing. He goes and he talks to the sando and gets a wireless mic, steps into where everybody's focused on around where the camera goes. So you might be wondering what's going on now. And he just starts talking to all the extras. Mm. And he explains exactly why we're stopped and what's happening with the camera and what's happening with the lights. And then he goes into a beautiful big speech about uh, how important extras are to a film, mm. how half of you won't even be in this scene even though you're here. Mm. But what you bring to the scene is in the scene, whether we can see you or whether we can't and how it's so important. And he just, he just made them feel loved and part of the creative process. Mm. And because he is who he is, he cracked a whole bunch of jokes yeah. and the whole room lifted. And rather than a moment at the end of the day where the whole shoot feels like hard work mm. and a drudge, he just went, turned it around on its head and made everybody feel great. And it was just, that was one of those moments I went, oh, that's how you direct. That's mm. how you look after people. Uh, yeah, that was great. Brilliant. Uh, before we finish then, um, do you have any upcoming projects? Uh, obviously, we're in the most isolated city in the world, as you say, so <laughs> this is probably more for just our Perth people. Well, there is a film coming out called H is for Happiness. Mm, yes, I've got a note of it here. Just um, once, uh, won a bunch of awards, mm. none of them for Exceptional Tall Man, oh. and I am barely in it, but I'm hoping that the bits I'm in are just great. Mm. Um, 
but that was an absolute joy that is coming out and I hear it's fantastic good yeah it should be really good I'm doing an improv show called um, The Long Good Night October 23rd at Lazy Susan's Comedy Den if you hear this beforehand and you're in Perth come along and see that it's just me and Esther Longhurst Longley Longhurst Long Good Night see mm-hmm. how that works um, and we're going to improvise for a full hour without uh, any set format mm-hmm. so we're just going to enjoy being on the stage if that fascinates you or come along and have a look at it if it terrifies you come along and have a look at it Mm. sounds absolutely fantastic uh before we conclude then sam uh i do just have one question that i would like to ask you so sagittarian i I have two questions (laughs) that i'd like to ask you Uh, the, the other question being um i feel as though there is an imbalance now because you have played a physical part of the role that Forrest Whitaker has done the voice of. Yes. If we were to flip it and you were the voice actor and Forrest was the physical actor, what role would you like to see that happen with? Oh, that is, oh, that's so good. So good. Well, I'd want to be in the Star Wars universe, Mm -hmm. but he's already been in that and he died. He was Saul Guerrero, but yeah, they could... His character could be revived for for well, yeah, they something. could get all ghostly like with the mm. Jedi the... Masters, but I don't, I don't mm. didn't like that bit about the whole Star Wars trilogy. Okay, so I'm rethinking it now. I want to see him be some sort of swamp creature, mm-hmm. but rather than putting uh, lots of costume on like I had to do, mm. I want him to be almost nude not 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 because i want to see anything but yeah. because i want him to be like glistening skin not golem-esque mm. but that kind of swampy creature yeah um and it's something filmed in australia so they, they love him and they want to keep him what they want to do is give a little bit of an australian lilt right to the story so he's a bunyip right That's what so he is he's a bunyip right uh and he is, he's the bunyip and he doesn't speak a lot but when he does it's super profound and wise mm. um with a slight comic edge because you can't take a bunyip too seriously. I mean, that's everyone knows that. Yeah. Yeah. So he plays the bunyip, but I voice it. Okay. Uh, and then, yeah, I get to um, meet him on the red carpet for the opening of that one. Mm. I'd like that a lot. Excellent. So. Oh, and Bruce Spence gets a good role in it too. He's another fellow tall actor I'd like to work with. All right. So we look forward to uh, Forrest Whitaker and Sam Longley in The Bunyip when that gets released in the near future. Uh, 2024. Yes. Sam, thank you so much for coming on the Cinema Catch-Up Club. Thank you, Stephen. Enjoy the film. I, I already did, but I will again. <laughs> uh, and for those of you listening at home, thank you very much for listening in. Uh, this special episode is uh, obviously, you're hearing it right now, well done. Uh, if you are a member of our Patreon, you're hearing it before anyone else, except for obviously Sam and I in this room. Um, so if you're listening to this episode and you're not a patron, this has come out a few days later and you're going, what? I want to hear interviews about... Forrest Whitaker covered in slime before anyone else. How do I do that? Go over to our Patreon. Uh, just go to patreon.com forward slash CCUC podcast and you can get uh, additional bonus features there for joining up. And of course, uh, make sure that you're subscribed to all the usual channels, uh, uh, Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, while it's still around, all of those different things. Just subscribe there. And if you have any comments, uh, say you want to say you're a casting agent looking for a, a good Wookiee, uh, we can be found on Facebook. Just search for the Cinema Catch-Up Club there and leave your requests for um, Six Foot Ten Sam Longley. JJ Abrams, I hope to hear from you. All right, but that's all for this episode. So until next time, goodbye. See ya.
You have been listening to a Thought Jar Productions podcast. For more information, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com.